I think we're live right now. Uh, we're just getting set up here. The live stream software that we typically use is down and out right now. So once again, we're going to have to do this thing a little bit differently. So trying to get everything set up. We'll start here in just a few minutes. Gonna get started here in just a few minutes. It's not quite seven. All right, so yeah, it does look like it's working. Uh, guys, know that I'm on my own tonight. <clears throat> uh, I don't have my right hand man Mr. Lastinger that usually sets up the live stream from his house uh, although I'm streaming from my house somehow he sends me some codes and some links and I'm able to go through some kind of crazy streaming software and I'm not able to do that tonight so I'm on my own so I'm trying to make sure everything is going according to plan we're not, it's not quite 7 yet, so we're not going to get started until around 7. Let some people get on. I see some people are logging on now, but uh, we're going to wait just a few more moments. Just for those of you who are watching, we are going to be continuing our study on the life of Jesus. So this is a study on the life of Jesus part 2. Uh, we kind of outlined a little bit last week, and I told you we're going to go in and start looking at the most important person not just in the Bible but everywhere in the whole world and the whole universe and beyond so we're going to be studying a, the life of Jesus here in just a few minutes not quite seven got a few people logging on so we're going to give it another few moments Let's see uh, Mr. Tony Phillips Good afternoon to you too, brother. Hope all is well down in good old Griffin, Georgia. Uh, hope your insurance adjuster is treating you well after all your flood damage and getting you well taken care of. Hopefully you'll be able to get that mess behind you sooner rather than later. Anybody else out there? The Henrys. Yes. Very, very uh, glad to see the Henrys. Uh, very special relationship that I have with them. Love you guys. You'll never know how much I love you. Seriously. So it is seven now, but uh, still only just a few people on with us. Brother Todd just started a watch party. So we're going to give it just another couple of moments. Um, but it will be worth you guys waiting. Uh, I, I have some really special... Uh, Revelations. Hey, Brother Thaddeus, Minister Redeemed in the house. How's it going, brother? Glad to see you here. But I do have a very special um, um, teaching towards the end of, uh, of the service, whatever you want to call this, the study. We'll call it the study. Towards the end of the study, I have a very special, and some of you guys probably already know this thing, but... Uh, I know Bible scholars like Brother Thaddeus, 
he knows all about this. It won't be new to him. Uh, the Henrys, you know, I learned most of what I teach y'all from them anyway. So, uh, yeah, but I have something very, very special, and I'm very excited to uh, share it with you guys towards the end of this study uh, on the life of Jesus. So at 7.01, we've got nearly a dozen folks on right now. I'm sure some more people will be tuning in later. In fact, I'm going to do a little something before I get started as well. Like I said, I'm on my own tonight with the streaming. This is not really my cup of tea. I'm not really that great at um, doing all the live streaming and the technology and stuff. That's what Bobby does. So, But I'm going to share this on my personal page as well. That way some more people can get involved with this thing. Let me see. There it is. Alright, there we go. Alright, so I just posted that on my page too. Hopefully some more people will be joining with us, but uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. And um, just like to start off by saying how excited I am to be with you guys tonight. I'm very excited. I'm always uh, excited to dive into the Word and share the Word with uh, with those who are interested and have time of fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ and iron sharpening iron. It's a great thing. And so uh, I'm excited to be here tonight. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would open up the eyes of our understanding and give us revelation of what it is that he would like for us to know during this study session. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you and I am grateful for the opportunity that I have to be here this evening. And Lord, I pray that those who are watching with us right now and those who will join with us here in just a few moments and those who will watch this video later on, I pray for every one of those people right now in Jesus' name that you will begin to open up the eyes of each one of our understanding, God, that we may be enlightened as the, the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Lord, what a powerful, powerful prayer that was, praying that the eyes of our understanding would be open to the reality that lies behind the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, give us revelation. Lord, lead us and guide us into all truth. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, I'm going to share a little story with you before I get into the message tonight. Um, for those of you who tuned in uh, to our Nation in Prayer talk show uh, night of prayer that we do on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, um, which I actually was supposed to call and, and do that because Brother Bobby wasn't able to put it through the computer, so I forgot about that, but sorry. Um, but we do a little show on Tuesday and Thursday nights, and um, last night the Lord had put something on my heart. Uh, it's not a secret per se. Uh, there are a few people talking about what I spoke about last night, but 
it's kind of a, a small remnant, a small amount of people that are really talking about it. But as time goes forward, I, I have noticed this topic trending more and more. But I kind of, I had to, I do these little devotionals during our uh, phone calls. And last night, the, work, the Lord put this little devotional in my heart. And I titled it, The Elephant That's in the Room. And that's actually what I'm going to be preaching on on this Sunday. And I'm going to kind of set it up just a little. I set it up last night. I'm going to set it up a little bit further tonight. And then I'm going to give you some more on this coming Sunday. And uh, I tell you, it's, it's crazy, guys. It really is crazy. And one of the things that... Um, one of the things that I actually talked about was um, how the, there's an elephant in the room of our nation, if you will, and there is a and the Bible talks about establishing and ordaining what he calls watchmen on the wall. Uh, giving people revelation and understanding of current events and how they relate to biblical prophecy. And I believe that th those, that's something that's been going on since the Old Testament. It's nothing new. However, it hasn't ceased either. And so there are many watchmen uh, out there right now that the Lord is showing and revealing the day and the times that we're living in right now and equating those times, these times that we're in, uh, to biblical prophecy. And one of the things that I'll say in reference to this elephant in the room is the fact that uh, it's okay to go to Kroger. It's okay to go to Publix, Target, Walmart, um, the drive-through, Chick-fil-A's, Taco Bell's, whatever. <clears throat> and I understand that we have to have food. We got to eat. If the grocery stores weren't open, most of us wouldn't make it. Let's be honest, which is another topic for another day. However, let's push the envelope a little bit further. It's also okay to go to Lowe's and Home Depot and buy your light bulbs and your pine straw and your mulch and all the things that go along with taking care of your yard and doing the little home maintenance and all this kind of stuff like that. But what I find interesting is when you drive by Lowe's or Home Depot, it looks like Black Friday in the parking lot. If any of you have been out and about and have looked around and, and driven by these places, you know what I'm talking about. The whole parking lot is full of, of vehicles, like it's Black Friday, like there's this huge sale going on. And you walk inside and there's people everywhere. Uh, however, let's, let's say, let me give you a, a specific example. Last week, uh, there was some churches, and I know the pastors of one of the churches, uh, in San Diego, California, that actually sued the local government, or they let, let's say they, they petitioned the court, because the government had stated that there were 
to be no church meetings whatsoever in any form or fashion except live stream on Resurrection Sunday morning. Well, this church and, and group of attorneys petitioned the court to ask them to allow the church to meet in the parking lot in the confines of their vehicles practicing all the safety standards of what a term that I hate it's because not not because it's a bad thing to do but because it's just creepy it's a creepy term somebody practicing social distancing to me that is a creepy term it really is but regardless you know so they they petitioned the court hey we're going to follow all of the uh, safety standards and precautions and all this kind of stuff that you know that everybody else is trying to do and abide by and we're going to stay in our vehicles and listen over the loudspeakers or the FM radio transmitter or whatever however they were planning on doing it and yet so they weren't, weren't going to get out of their cars and the the court said no you're not doing that we're not going to allow you guys to do that however Go uh, to Lowe's and get your um, get your paint so you can paint your guest room because it's needed to be painted for the past 10 years and now you're quarantined. So go get the paint with the other 450 people inside of Home Depot right now or Lowe's or whatever. But we're not going to church in the parking lot in the confines of your own vehicle. There's a problem with that. All right, and I'm just telling you, that's this. That is not what this nation represents. Instead, well, let me rephrase that. It's not what this nation used to represent and stand for. Let me just be honest, and that's what, and that's one of the things that I mean by an elephant in the room. However, there's a lot. There's a lot of other. Th let me say that COVID nineteen and all that's going on right now is not nothing but a symptom of a greater problem alright because the this nation has sinned against a holy God and I'm just telling you like it is that's the elephant in the room that a lot of people don't want to talk about and I don't want I don't want to accept the responsibility of a watchman on the wall because it's not a popular message it's a difficult message uh, to get out there and to speak and to preach because people don't want to hear it for the most part because they're getting their information from ulterior other uh, alternative sources rather than the Word of God and you know what the Word of God says about current events and biblical prophecy and things that are to come and all this and that and so I'm gonna I, I'm just kinda giving you a glimpse of what I'm gonna be talking about on Sunday but I'm but let me share a story with you of what just happened to me 15 20 minutes ago all right this just happened to me the both of the tires of my lawnmower had come off of the rim on my on the front of my lawnmower okay so I was needing some supplies to put my lawnmower back together my job has continued I've been out working and all this and that since day one I haven't stopped you know like some of these businesses have our business has kept going we've been deemed and turned uh, one of the essential businesses so we've just kept on moving so I've been out and about and whatever I haven't been to a grocery store in over a month but I don't really go there anyway because my wife usually does 
all the grocery shopping. So that's nothing new. But I haven't been to a Walmart or a Kroger or any of those things. But regardless, so I, I had to go up to one of the local stores. I'm not going to say which one it was. You'll probably figure it out because I needed something to put the front tire of my lawnmower back together with. So I get up there and I get in the line and uh, I put my, and I get ready to go up to the register, the self checkout. There was a brother in front of me that had just finished paying and was getting his bags off of the bag holder and was picking it up and making his way out towards the door. Well, I, as he's doing that, I begin to step forward. I'm still a good distance away from this guy, okay? However, this guy turns around at, and, yet, and begins to curse me out, calling me every name in the book. I'm not kidding when I say the, the most vulgar of them all with the exception of taking the Lord's name in vain. But calling me all the names in the book, talking about get away from me, back away, you know, six feet, what are you doing, you know, and all these other cuss words. So, okay, this is crazy. So the guy continues to show his rear and whatever, and finally ends up walking away. I pay for my items. I get finished paying. And I start to turn around and walk out of the, you know, towards the exit. I had to exit on the other end of the store because you can only come in and out one, you know, certain places at the store. Well, the lady who was standing there watching over this section of the registers of the self-checkout gets in my way and says, hey, I need to see your receipt for what you just, for all this stuff you just paid for. And I'm like, Ma'am, you just watched me pay for this stuff. I'm just standing here paying for all these items. And now you're asking me for my receipt. Seconds after this guy cusses me out and talks to me any kind of crazy old kind of way. And what, I'm, what the purpose of me sharing this with you is that what is happening in the world right now is not just going to go away anytime soon even when they lift the restrictions of what's happening right now this message that the media has been implanting within the hearts and minds of people about get away from me social distance keep away and that it has bred within us a spirit of fear and of looking and viewing people with skepticism or there's a word I'm trying to think of I can't really think of it but it's kind of like you look at people like they're up to no good and this guy treats me this way and then seconds later somebody else jumps on this bandwagon looking at me all sideways with this skeptic outlook and I'm telling you guys that's not cool and I just want to encourage somebody in the house today to remember that God is sovereign. He is, the, he is the Lord God Almighty. And even in the midst of all this crazy stuff, we cannot allow what's happening in the world around us to make us behave like common, you know, just thugs, really. 
and treat people any kind of way for no reason. So I'm, we're going to get a little bit deeper in that, and I'm going to bring you to some scripture that shows you on Sunday, that shows you exactly what I'm talking about, and you're going to see for yourself. So just know that there is an agenda that's happening around not just me, not around us, but around you right now. And you need to be wise to it. And that's and that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking about on Sunday. We need to we need to wise up. And we need to turn back and remember that God is still God. He is sovereign, and if anything's happening in the world right now, he has allowed it. So I'm not taking away in, from anything about COVID-19 and all this kind of stuff, but that's irrelevant from what I'm saying. So anyway, just know Sunday we're going to talk about some serious stuff. So we're going to continue right now on a, on a study of the life of Jesus, part two. And last week we set up a, a general outline that I gave you. You can go through and study uh, some of the important aspects and points of Jesus's life and tonight we're going to be talking about some various names of, of Christ and some various titles of Christ of Jesus and we're not gonna go through every one of them because there's so many it's there's an in innumerable an innumerable amount nearly and I would encourage you to take what we talk about tonight and go study the rest of them or study what we're going to talk about tonight in further detail for yourself so I encourage you to get some paper to get a pen take some notes and watch this and take notes and go back and study some of these things a little bit further because I'm not going to go into great detail about everything but if you write some of these things down then you can go back and get an even greater understanding of what I'm going to share with you tonight. So this is somewhat of a recap, not really a recap, we're going to get some new information here as well, but um, I want to open up with an idea that we did not, we do not live now during the time that Jesus physically walked on the earth hanging out with the disciples, teaching the multitudes in person, in the flesh, in the body of Jesus on the earth. We don't live during that time. However, although we weren't there, we, we still must believe. Somebody say amen. Although we didn't live then, God has given us each a measure of faith to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we take that faith and when we hear the gospel, we respond to the gospel and we either say, yes, I love you, Lord. I receive you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. You died on the cross for my sin and you rose from the dead and you have paid the penalty, defeating hell and death and the grave. And I receive that. Or, on the other hand, we can say, no, I don't believe none of that, and keep walking. However, for those of us who have responded in the manner of yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to share this very brief account 
coming from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. This is about Thomas, the, the disciple Thomas. And this has a great lesson for us all in reference to we weren't there, yet we still must believe. Verse 19 from John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. That sounds kind of like what we're going through right now. Different time, different, totally different topic, but I just thought of that. There may be something there, who knows. But the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews behind closed doors. <clears throat> and came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Why did he say that? Well, because the disciples just lost Jesus to the crucifixion at the hands of the religious leaders of the time. And now those religious leaders and people knew that they were followers of Christ. So they're hiding behind closed doors, afraid of what the Jews might do to them. They had no idea Jesus was just crucified, and Jesus was the most powerful and greatest teacher and ruler, you know, if, a different kind of ruler, obviously, but he was the most powerful man that ever lived. So if they could do that to him, imagine what they could do to us. So Jesus breaks into the midst of this thing, and he says, Peace be unto you. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. And in verse 20, And when he had said so, he shewed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Why were they glad? Because they saw that it was truly Jesus whom they just witnessed being crucified and buried. And they and at this point they were they didn't know. They thought that was the end. They thought their rabbi, their master, their teacher, it was all over. But when they saw Jesus and he comes in, he says, Peace be unto you, they were so glad when they saw the Lord. Twenty one. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, 
my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Church, this is talking about us and our responsibility to trust this biblical message of the gospel some 2,000 years ago, years later, and it's as believable and as real as today as it was all those years ago. So I just want to encourage you and remind you that the Lord is still active. He's still doing his thing, even though people are forgetting all about him and just acting crazy and treating people any old kind of way and uh, has have this mob mentality when one person starts attacking somebody then all of a sudden somebody else is going to start attacking that person creating this mob mentality and that's the same thing that happened to Jesus I don't want to get too far into all that right now but that's the same thing that happened to Jesus so you know we talked a little bit last week about the sources of inf information about Christ um, which were the Gospels. We talked about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's really the whole Bible. All throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about this here in just a few minutes in this lesson, but all throughout the Old Testament, we see prophetic words about Christ. We see uh, appearances of Christ. Christophanies, we call them. And, uh, and all throughout the New Testament as well. Not just the Gospels, but the Gospels really get specific about the earthly ministry and life of Jesus Christ here on the earth. But of course, Paul talks all about it and uh, many others as well throughout the New Testament. Peter, John, all of them. So, why, I'm going to ask you a question. Why, were, why are there four Gospels instead of just one? Well, there's a lot of information and, and uh, truth to that. There's, there's this one pastor that uh, gives some information on that, which is really, really interesting. But uh, we're not going to get too deep into this question tonight, but I encourage you to study it further. But first of all, the Gospels are not just purely biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're also... Uh, it's each each gospel. We have the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which tell the vast majority is, is the same information. However, it's told from a different perspective, and they're written to different groups of people. And of course, all scripture is profitable for doctrine and reproof, and you know it's it's all inspired word of God. But, they, but each one of these were written towards specific groups of people written from different perspectives. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew wrote from his perspective. Luke wrote from his perspective. And, and uh, Mark was not necessarily a disciple of Christ. He wasn't necessarily one of the 12 disciples anyway. Maybe he was one of the others. But uh, they say that Mark gave the testimony. He wrote the testimony of uh, the Apostle Peter. Whether that's true or not. Not 100% sure, uh, but it does have some. It does make some sort of sense. But uh, they're not just biographies, but they're written from different perspectives for different audiences and are meant to provide multiple witnesses to the life of Christ. So what we have have to understand is what we have to understand is. Okay, son, you go do that. Okay, okay, I need you to go do that. Go shut that door. Excuse me. 
Sorry, guys. Hey, life of a pastor, life of a dad, life of a working man. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. However, so just moving along, um, these gospels, these four gospels were written and included in the Bible to give us multiple witnesses of the life of Christ. Because think about it, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established you can't go by just one witness, and that the same things with building doctrine and uh, all of these, you know, various different Christian ideologies. You can't just take one scripture and say and build a doctrine on it. You have to have multiple witnesses, and that's how their government was set up. That's how God set up government. That's how our government is set up. If somebody commits a crime. They have to go through something that we call due process. You can't just walk, you know, they just can't come kick your front door in and take you to jail and just sentence you without a trial. And, and during that trial, you, they have to have witnesses and, be, and have to have enough evidence to convict you of the said crime beyond a shadow of reasonable doubt. And, of course, that process is not completely flawless but they have to have witnesses multiple witnesses to compile enough evidence to let a thing be established and that's part of the reasoning for having the four gospels now i did i mentioned something called the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke uh, they tell a lot of the same information they're very um relatable to one another but the the gospel of john is different from the other three and that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier about there is a deeper study uh, on that particular topic of, uh, on, and on the number four. How three of something, when there's a list of four, three of those things are very similar or the same, and the fourth one is always different. And that's a common theme with the number four throughout the entire Word of God. So that's just something that you, know, you can pay attention for and, and look for for yourself in greater detail later. Uh, but, of course, each author, again, was inspired by God through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God is the author and inspiration of Scripture. Uh, there are no contradictions among the four accounts. Now, <clears throat> you'll see things worded differently within the various different Gospels and, and whatnot. But remember, they're coming from four different perspectives written to different groups of people. Let's say, for instance... Uh, you know what, we're going to talk about that here in a second, but um, th there's no real con contradictions. Although things are worded differently, it's because they're written to different groups of people uh, to, to accomplish uh, and promote different themes of the life of Christ. So the four different perspectives actually complement one another and help to fill out the whole picture of Jesus' life and teachings. Uh, there is harmony continuity and unity among the four accounts of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And so if we were to summarize, of course, there's many themes within the Gospels. Please understand this. But if we were to somehow summarize uh, some of the different ones and give you some of the various different perspectives and groups of uh, people that these accounts were written to, uh, it, it, however, it can be however challenging it can be, uh, the simplified approach would be to say that Matthew basically announces that Jesus is king, and Mark presents him as a servant. Luke focuses on him as a man, and John highlights him as God. Uh, 
So Matthew King, written to the Jews to talk about, you know, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's the one we've been waiting for. So he, Matthew promotes him as king. Uh, Mark promotes him as the servant. Luke as man. And John highlights him as God. And of course, these are just kind of simplified uh, perspectives of the themes of these four Gospels. Uh, but Jesus, however, is our perfect model in each of these roles. He's the perfect model as king, the perfect model as servant, as man, and as God. Somebody say, Amen. Uh, so what are the meanings of Jesus' primary names and titles? All right, we, we've seen, as we study Scripture, the Word of God gives Jesus so many different names and so many different titles and uh, and there's a this movement out there, and it really drives me crazy. That's that promotes that if you don't call him Yahweh or Yahuwah or Yeshua or Yehoshua or Yah or Jehovah or they all say something different. Every one of them says a different name, and and they and they say that if you don't call him that, he will not answer you. So if you call out on the name of Jesus, Jesus ain't listening. God ain't listening. If you call him God, his name's not God, so he's not answering. And that's ridiculous. Please understand how ridiculous. That is a false teaching. That is a false doctrine. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm telling you, the whole movement behind that is just filled with so much false doctrine and hatred and animosity toward the body of Christ, the, the person of Christ, uh, God, and the people of Christ. And, and they just believe, it's, it's even, it takes it even further than uh, hyper-Calvinism, and there's only a section of people, a very, very small and select group of people that are going to be saved. And though, and if you're not a group in that group, you're going to, you're not going to be on the freedom side of heaven. And some of them even go so far as to say you will be their slaves in heaven. And that, and that doctrine that I'm talking about, most of the people that are watching this broadcast is not included in what I'm talking and, and what this doctrine is talking about. So. It's crazy. Guys, call him Jesus. That's the scripture's translation of his name into English. And I'm going to call him Jesus. And I know he hears me because there's fruit and evidence in my life that, that proves that uh, I belong to him. I'm not who I once was. God made me new. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and so, forget all that. But there's a great big, you know, mess of stuff that will, will tell you that. But we're going to talk about some of the names and titles of, of, of Jesus. And I believe we can understand a lot about Jesus and his mission by understanding his names and titles. If you'll notice when you read scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New, oftentimes... Uh, you, you'll know uh, the names of cities, the names of people had meaning. You know, most of the time in our culture, we really don't put a lot of thought or a lot of credence into naming our children with names that actually mean something. But in biblical times, 
they and, pro, and probably many other cultures today still do this, but they named people based upon a, a specific meaning. Um, and and we can we can see that very clearly in the life of Jesus. So we can understand a lot about Jesus and his mission by understanding his names and titles. So let's look at some scripture and discover some of the various names of our Lord and what they mean. The first one that I'm going to take you to is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. So Matthew 1, 21. Give you just a second to turn there. Matthew 1, 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So right here, that's Matthew 1, 21. Right here, you see evidence of what I'm telling you uh, in reference to why they even named him Jesus. Because that name means something. <clears throat> Look at exactly what the scripture says. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Well, he tells us right here why, why they're going to call him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus means God saves or Savior or God's salvation. So the name Jesus was given to him, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, because that name has meaning. And it means that God saves or salvation, Savior, God's salvation. Some, somewhere in the confines of of that is what the name Jesus actually means. Another one, Matthew 1.23, the couple verses later. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And of course, that's also found in Isaiah. But right here in Matthew 1.23, he tells us, the scripture tells us, that the virgin shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which has a meaning. And the meaning is interpreted as God with us. That's Matthew 1.23. And so in reference to the name Emmanuel, we know that Jesus truly was and still truly is Emmanuel or God with us. He's not the God that's far away from us. He's not the God that has that can't hear or that can't talk or that can't see and that can't walk. Like the gods, the other little G gods of the Old Testament, the little G gods of the New Testament, and the little G gods of today that people still worship. He's not that God. He is not the God that's far away from us. He's the God that's with us. He's Emmanuel. And Jesus, Emmanuel, was both fully man and fully God. He was God in the flesh. So he was the God-man. That's Luke one thirty-five. You can see that. And the angel answered and said unto her, <clears throat> The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called 
the Son of God. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's Matthew 16, 13. So we can see that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He is the God, Jesus, the God that saves. He is salvation. Somebody say, Amen. <clears throat> so we know that He's fully God and fully man, according to the Scriptures. John chapter 1, verse 41. Messiah. That's another name. He findeth his own brother, Simon. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. That's John 1.41. So he findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So we see that the, the name or the title Messiah has a meaning. Messiah is the equivalent, that's the Old Testament word, Messiah. In the New Testament word, the same word in the New Testament, in the Greek, the Hebrew was Messiah, in the Greek it was Christos, uh, which, which means Christ, which is synonymous with Messiah. So Messiah and Christ both titles, we call them Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Um, it's a synonymous term there. And Messiah means, or Christ means, anointed or the anointed one. Which is a term used to signify the future king of the line of David who would rule the world. That was prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. So... Uh, like I said, the Greek word for Messiah is Christos, and that's an important uh, fact to understand. That's where we get the term Christ, is from the Hebrew word Messiah. That's how it's translated uh, in the time of the New Testament, and then we translate it into the name or the title Christ. So, you know, we've all heard a million times, you know, Christ was not Jesus' last name. It was Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus the God who saves, the anointed God who saves. Amen. So, uh, many pro prophecies promise that this ruler, or this Messiah, this Christ, is to be sent by God as a deliverer and liberator. Which is, why, which is one of the reasons why the Jews to this day... Uh, do not recognize Christ as being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah because they weren't liberated from their oppressors before Christ was crucified. So that's another story for another day. But there are many prophecies that were promised uh, that promised that this ruler would uh, would be a, that the, the Messiah would be a ruler sent by God to be a deliverer and liberator of the Israeli oppressors which calls for us to stop and take a look at something that I think that you guys will find very interesting and like I said before I really got started on this some of you have probably already studied this 
But I want to I want to remind you of it, even if you have. But some of you haven't. This will be the first time some of you have ever heard of this. And I want you to turn to <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, which is going to help us to understand what I mean when I said earlier that as we study the names of Christ, the names of Jesus, and his titles, we can begin to have a greater understanding of his mission and purpose of why he had to come and do what he did and go through what he went through, uh, be crucified, uh, dead, death, burial, and resurrection, preached for 40 more days, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and then empowering us, the church, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason why he did all that. And we can determine some of that through some of the titles and the meanings of his names and titles. And I want, and I want to give you a, an example of something here that to me is just really cool. I love this account in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. <clears throat> so the Bible says, and he, and he, talking about Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So this was a custom in the, in the day of Jesus. They went to the synagogue. That was like the center of um, Jewish life and custom. And, the, and I told you last week, that when you study the life of Christ, you'll notice he did a lot of cool stuff in and around or upon entering or upon exiting uh, the synagogues and the temples. He did a lot of cool stuff. So you'll notice a, a very uh, relevant theme when you study Christ in reference to the, the synagogues and the temples. And that was a, a center of Jewish life. And as the custom was, you know, people would stand up and read and they'd, do, they'd repeat the Shema and, you know, all, all these other uh, Jewish rites and, and various different things and read scriptures, and, uh, on the, especially on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord." And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. Now watch this. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. <clears throat> and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Jesus opens the book of Isaiah, reads that portion of scripture that I just read to you, and goes, hands the, closes the book, hands the book back to the minister, goes and sits down like nothing just happened, and everybody was looking at him, like, with their eyes glued to him, 
And Jesus says to all, everybody that was there, this day has this scripture been fulfilled in your ears. Now I want you to look at the scripture that Jesus was actually quoting from or reading from in Isaiah chapter 61. So if you can turn to Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. This is where Jesus was reading from. Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. It would be very helpful for you to actually see this for yourself and hold your place in um, Luke chapter 4 as well. So Isaiah 61 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So now, if you will look for yourselves specifically, and if you don't have your Bible handy right now, write this down, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. You need to see this for yourself to really get the, the great picture of this thing. So if you look for yourself specifically at verse 19 in Luke chapter 4 and compare that with verse 2 in Isaiah 61, you will notice that Jesus stops mid-sentence of this prophecy found in Isaiah 61. So in Luke, Jesus reads the part about preaching the acceptable day, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord, but doesn't say anything about the day of vengeance of our God, which what those two statements weren't separated by periods and verses and all that stuff. They were separated by a comma or a colon. I can't remember exactly which one, but but regardless, those two statements were not separated. So Jesus stops in the middle or the mid sentence of this prophecy that he was reading in Isaiah sixty one. So, uh, in Luke, Jesus reads the part about preaching the acceptable year of the Lord, but doesn't say anything about the day of vengeance of our God. And so, notice how in verse 20 of Luke 4, and the Bible makes it a point to say that Jesus closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. So, he reads midway through the prophecy, and the Bible literally makes it a point to say Jesus closes the book and hands it to the minister. So what is, why is that? The, what's significant about this statement in the Bible? Because the Bible didn't have to say that he closed the book and handed it to the minister after reading what he wrote. The, the Bible could have just got, went on to the next statement uh, that, G, you know, that happened in this scenario. But he didn't. So what's significant about this is that the scripture is calling your attention to the fact that Jesus did not finish reading the entire prophecy. And all of the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. 
They couldn't believe Jesus just said what he just said, quoting and reading from this well-known prophecy in Isaiah that was talking about the coming of the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and to set the captives free and all those things that these prophecies, uh, that they were waiting for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And he looked, after he reads it, halfway, closes the book, hands it to the minister, sits down, everybody's looking at him, and he says to him, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. They couldn't believe it. They were, they were, and it goes on to say that in just a few moments from then, they actually tried to kill him. Oh, they were, they were so mad, they led him to the edge of town and wanted to throw him off of a, of a cliff head first. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus managed to uh, escape from the hands of his enemies. And his enemies were the religious rulers that were supposed to receive him right then and there with open arms, but they didn't. And so what a claim that Jesus is making in these, in these scriptures here. So the term that Jesus uses, just to, to paint a, a real in-depth picture here, the terminology, the acceptable year of the Lord, I came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that's a reference to an Old Testament ordinance known as the year of Jubilee. And you'll find that in uh, Leviticus. I forget exactly where it is. You can you can Google that and and search for it, or just you know go on your Bible and you know look up Jubilee or uh, or whatnot. You'll find it in Leviticus. Somebody might can look that up right now and post it in the comments. Uh, but that uh, talks about the year of Jubilee in the Lord. And so this is where God commands Israel to cancel out any outstanding debts, free the slaves and restore the land to its original owners that might have been, maybe they sold their land in times of desperation. They were broke to no end, so they you know, had no other choice but to sell their land. And so every, so every seventh year was a year of Sabbath and of rest, and they had to allow the land to rest and you know, to the soil to, um, you know, God to restore the soil and, and, and you know, do what he does through nature and whatnot. But then the seventh uh, Sabbath year, so 49 years, the year after that, they called the year of Jubilee. So it's really every 50 years after the 49th year, which is seven times seven. That's an interesting study there as well. But on the 50th year was the year of Jubilee, <clears throat> and they had to allow the land to rest and, and refocus their attention on the, that God is our provider. God is our sustainer, not the land. It's not the land that you know bears its fruit, you know, for no other reason, with with the exception that God created it to do just that very thing to provide for his people. And so and, and to cancel outstanding debts and to free slaves and restore land rights to their original owners. Think about this, guys. Jesus <clears throat> talks about preaching, fulfilling this prophecy to, to fulfill the acceptable day of the year of the Lord, talking about canceling debts. You had a debt that you could not pay. You owed a debt that you couldn't pay, but Jesus paid it on the cross. Somebody say amen. You don't have the funds necessary to pay that debt, but Jesus paid it. Uh, you, uh, you once were a slave in bondage to your sin nature, to your flesh. But Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the blood of Christ, 
freed you from the bondage of your sins. Somebody say, Amen. And also, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and for us to receive what He did for us on the cross, restored the land that we lost through the sin of disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. We lost the land, and we were kicked out of the garden. But God said, I will make a way, and through the seed of the woman, uh, He is going to restore mankind back to me into the place to where I originally desired for them to dwell. Think of this picture here. This is an exact replica of the picture of what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means for the, those who believe it. So, uh, this is another cool study to go through. You can actually see um, how all the, all the Old Testament feasts and festivals were actually pictures of the coming of Christ and His mission on the earth. And uh, if um, some of you have ever done that study, it's, it's really cool. So in the first coming of Christ, or I'm sorry, so here where Jesus stops just before the prophecy about the day of vengeance of our God, we're about to close, we've got a couple more minutes, but remember the whole point of this, Jesus stops mid-sentence, talks about preaching the acceptable year of the Lord, but stops at a comma and doesn't finish talking about the day of vengeance of our God. This is because this time is still yet to be fulfilled. But Jesus was telling the people of that time and us today that his first coming was to fulfill preaching, uh, not just preaching, but actually fulfilling salvation for those who believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, the, the, year of, the acceptable year of the Lord. So the first coming of Christ, he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, the year of salvation for the slave, the oppressed, and the broken. That was the purpose of Jesus' first coming. And he tells them, this, this day has this scripture been fulfilled in your ears. But he didn't say nothing about fulfilling the day of vengeance of our God. And the reason is, is because the day of vengeance of our God, or the day of the Lord, that will be fulfilled not in his first coming, but in his second coming. Which is why uh, all the epistles, all the letters of Peter and Paul and John and James and Hebrews and Revelation, they tell us, we have got to stay to get ready, stay ready, and be ready, because the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night, and you gotta you gotta be ready. So Jesus stops mid sentence, closes the book before reading this prophecy, that the reading the prophecy that his first coming would not fulfill. So Jesus came to the earth for the first time to die for our sins, and will come the second time to pour out the seven vials of God's wrath on those who have rejected the salvation of the Lord. Somebody read, you know, go back and read about this 2 Thessalonians, all of 2 Thessalonians, really, but, you know, especially chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. Man, there's some stuff in there that's like, man, God does that? God sends strong delusion on those who uh, love not the truth? but have rejected the truth, don't love the truth, and rather receive the lie? And so if you reject the truth and you don't love the truth, 
and you received the lie and embraced the lie, God sends those people strong delusion during this time that's to come. And, and let me tell you, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be in this place when that happens. And regardless of whether it's pre-trib, you know, rapture, Lord you know, calls us out uh, before all of this crazy tribulation happens and whatnot, if you believe that, and, and that's kind of where I lean, I hope that's the case. But it really won't matter either way, because even if it's, if it's not pre-trib, even if the church is not called out uh, before the tribulation, the church that endures the tribulation, God's hand will be upon them. God's love and God's protection will be on them. But I'm telling you, uh, for those who have not received the love of the truth, let me tell you something, uh, that's not going to be good for that person. And so, you know, Jesus comes the first time to die for our sins and will come the second time to pour out the seven vials of, of God's wrath on those who have rejected the salvation of the Lord. And there's one final thing I want to share with you, uh, another title, another name uh, that we talk about with Christ, with Jesus. Luke 6, 46, and I'm going to close with this. <coughs> Luke 6, 46. And why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The title Lord means master or ruler. You are my teacher. You are my source. You are the one that I have laid my life down to follow. Sadly, however, many who call him master or many who call him Lord will not obey him as Lord and master. And so my challenge to us today is to put your nose in that book. And no matter what's going on in this world right now around us, which, yeah, it's crazy. And yes, we've never seen things to this degree. But guys, God is still sovereign. God has allowed these things to happen. He is he's still in control. So if this is going on, God knows all about it. But my challenge to you is this, is to put your nose in that book. Learn of Him and His ways. Make Him not just the Savior of your life, but make Him the Lord of your life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you do not... Uh, you do not do what I've commanded for you to do. That's a, that's a convicting statement. He's saying it to me. I'm receiving that word from him right now. So Lord, help us. Let's, in fact, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. And, we, and we're going to ask him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to go into your word and to open it up and to look at uh, some really, uh, really cool things in, in your book, Lord, in your Bible, in your word. Thank you for giving us revelation, and I pray that you continue to speak to us and lead us and guide us uh, into all truth, Father. And also in the midst of all this, Lord, I pray that as we learn about you, Lord, that we would, that we would make you exactly that, the Lord of our lives. Father, I thank you and I praise you for all the things that you have done for us and continue to do for us, even in the midst of uh, these crazy things that are happening around us, Lord. And, and Father, I just pray that your hand of protection will be around every person under, under the sound of my voice. And that you would just continue to um, just help us to 
exhibit the love of Christ and to preach the love of Christ, Lord, and, and to be, make us watchmen on your walls, Lord. Help us to call out the elephant in the room. Show us that the elephant even exists because many uh, have not been awakened to see that. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding that we may see uh, exactly what it is that's going on around us for what it is. And Lord, I just, I just personally believe that everything that happens in this world can be found and understood in the, in the uh, understanding of your word. Even things are happening right now today. As in the famous words of, uh, of Pastor Mike Hoggard, if it's not in the Bible, it didn't happen. And I, and I stand on that statement and behind that statement. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I thank you. Help us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you've been blessed tonight. Get your Bibles out. I hope you took some notes. Study these things further for yourself. Uh, go to Isaiah 9. Look at some more names and titles of the Lord. Isaiah 53 and 58 and, and all these other places that you'll find many other titles and, and names for God and for Christ. And start looking and seeing what those things mean. And I bet you'll, uh, I bet you'll be blessed because of it. So I love you guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Share this video. Get the word out. And for those of you who do not know, uh, you can uh, find our Nation in Prayer phone number on our website, lucernebaptist.org. Go on the website, look for that number. It'll tell you exactly how to call in to our Nation in Prayer uh, talk show slash fellowship in the Lord and come together uh, as a body of believers from all over this nation to pray for one another and to pray for this country and this world. You can find that number on um, lucernebaptist.org. Thanks again. Love you guys. Have a great night.